Hello everyone. Welcome to the pilot episode of the Unschooling with PDA podcast. My name's Rose and I'm the mum of a five-year-old little pda called Leo. We live in the UK and we home educate, uh, which is the term that we prefer to use instead of homeschooling over here in the UK because we are not replicating school at home. We unschool and in this podcast my ultimate goal is to build a community and a resource with tips, information, commiseration, empathy and holding space for mums and dads in the same position as we are in. I hope to bring on other mums who we can talk about uh, PDA with. These will be mums that I have met personally, who I met online or potentially mums who might reach out to me and just ask to come on and share their story and I hope that we can build something of value here because it can be very very lonely to be a parent and a carer to a PDA child and I do understand that we are only at the beginning of our journey compared to some others who might be living with teenagers or PDA adults so In that sense, I also hope that eventually we can hear more from such parents in more detail. So let me just start by summarising what PDA is for those of you who might be new to the term. I know it can be a lot to wrap your head around, uh, but the best place to start is the PDA Society website or their materials online on social media. Their website is pdasociety.org.uk where you can find lots of criteria on how to determine whether your child might have PDA. And I would like to add that based on some messages and some conversations that I've had recently, I think there's some confusion on what is PDA versus normal demand avoidance, which can and often is a part of autism and ADHD. So this is something that doesn't come up often and I do feel like maybe parents who are struggling with their autistic child's demand avoidant behaviours might be a bit quick to jump to assuming that it's PDA. But there are some big differences in how PDAers perceive everyday life and just everything around them versus those who have only demand avoidance. So I'm autistic myself and my husband has ADHD and we both experience demand avoidance. We didn't know that it was called that, but we do, especially my husband. And I don't think he'll mind me sharing this. For him, it can be difficult to get tasks done that aren't actually particularly difficult necessarily. They're not necessarily unpleasant, but he doesn't want to do them because it's very hard to get started. Once he gets started, it's a lot easier. But getting started can be very daunting and overwhelming, so he avoids the demand entirely. And from what I've read, and I'm not an ADHD expert, I'm not an autism expert uh, in terms of being a medical professional, I'm not. But the way I understand it is that normal demand avoidance, which is very common apparently, comes about because the task is either too complex in terms of how many steps there are 
or the person just doesn't have enough mental reserve to make the transition from whatever they were doing before and getting started with the task. So both of these things would be under the umbrella of executive dysfunction and executive dysfunction or in other words problems or difficulties with executive functioning those are that is very common in ADHD and I think in autism as well but I think ADHD is is even more specifically very tricky when it comes to executive function so if that demand avoidance that you're seeing is related to specific tasks that you might think are easy but when actually you think about it a little bit more there is a lot of steps to that task so let's say getting dressed in the morning that is actually a lot of steps for a, a child even if they're five six or seven or eight you know you have to open your drawers you have to look at all the clothes you have to pick out what you want to wear then you have to undress from you know, take your PJs off, then you have to put your trousers on, then you have to put your socks on. So it's it's lots of steps and often just having visual aids or a written step-by-step -step routine card for those types of activities or those types of tasks for the child can help demand avoidant children who are only avoiding the demand because it's too difficult, you know, to understand or to start. Whereas with PDA, unfortunately, even things that are very simple, things that can, can give a lot of enjoyment to the person would also be avoided because it causes anxiety, even questions, just talking to them sometimes, even the, the demand of processing language, the demand of having a routine card, the demand of having a visual aid, the demand of a calendar of a now next statement all of that will trigger a pda even further and that is the key difference between pda and autistic or adhd demand avoidance so i thought i would explain this before we go any further with the podcast because i've chatted about this to some parents and when i did they came back and said oh actually that makes a lot of sense because my child doesn't struggle in a lot of situations they just really resist you know getting dressed or the routines that we have that they should be able to do themselves and I said well maybe if you just um, introduce some visual aids or step-by-step -step instructions that could help and I'm not saying that helps everyone but they came back saying actually you know that does help and that's definitely not PDA then that's all I'll say I think all of us who are parenting a PDA will agree so Moving on from whether it's PDA or demand avoidance, I'll raise the question, does it actually matter? Does the label matter? Uh, especially that you can't get PDA as an official NHS diagnosis. As far as I'm aware, in most places, they will not diagnose it on its own. You have to be diagnosed with autism, with demand avoidance or with a PDA profile. Uh, I think it does vary from trust to trust from what I've heard. Our trust doesn't diagnose it, but they did put demand avoidance on the autism diagnosis letter. Now, I think at the end of the day, there is definitely a set of behaviours 
because there's no way that so many parents are sharing the same experiences as what we're going through. There is definitely a set of behaviours and a set of responses from the child that is unique to PDA because of the way that all other parenting tools just do not work and the approach required to de-escalate those situations is the exact opposite to a lot of parenting advice and a lot of parenting techniques that work for non-PDA children even non-PDA autistics so that is a big difference because a lot of the advice for how to de-escalate autistic meltdowns uh, autistic demand avoidance will not work with PDA children so it's not the diagnosis not the label for me that matters the most it's knowing whether those behaviors are on the PDA spectrum and it's all about just knowing how to accommodate and how to change the way you parent and I think that's going to be what most of this podcast and most of what we talk about with other mums if they come on to to share their thoughts will centre around that because that is the hardest thing to do and it requires a lot of our nervous system input a lot of going against societal norms and all of that is exhausting and often you don't just get PDA in a family of neurotypicals there's often other neurodiversity going on neurodivergence in all the other individuals in that family so I think that is what we need to support each other with that's what we need to try and help each other with and our story which you know I could go on for a long time about how we discovered PDA but what helped me the most was that I'd really started looking into gentle parenting respectful parenting even before Leo was born and when he was a baby and so by the time we discovered PDA by the time I realized that there was such a term for what he was like or the behaviors that we were seeing or the lack of success with other techniques that were recommended for autistic behaviors by that time I'd actually implemented a lot of things that low demand living requires without even knowing that I'd been doing it you know it was just a lot of it came to me naturally and I think maybe that's because I also have a lot of demand avoidant and PDA traits so our story begins with me trying to be the most respectful parent possible so I never really made Leo do things just for the sake of it and I always did go against a lot of societal expectations myself but obviously he was still going to nursery because we had to work I could we couldn't afford to not work at the time and by the time we discovered PDA it was a light bulb moment and it was also this massive massive relief because I genuinely thought that despite all evidence pointing to the contrary I thought that I'd failed at being a mum I'll be honest sometimes I thought that I am doing something really wrong here despite my best efforts and my best efforts in all honesty they seem to go far beyond 
all my friends' efforts who I saw every week, some of them I saw every day, or most days, and their children were just completely different. They did not put half as much time into trying to do the best for their child. I could see the way they parented. They're mostly neurotypical people. Their children are neurotypical. And the traditional advice was just working for them. And I saw myself from the outside sometimes, like, what am I doing compared to these people? I'm reading all these books. I'm trawling the internet. I'm in a zillion Facebook groups for difficult, high-needs children, spirited children, fussy babies, uh, dragons, you name it. There were all sorts of terms used for them. I was in all the groups. So by the time I discovered PDA, you know, that was such a weight off my chest. I thought, wow, it is not me doing it wrong. There is an actual thing that, like, there's an actual condition. There's a name for all of this. So instead of getting worried or scared, like many parents do, I think, when their child is diagnosed with something or when they start suspecting a diagnosis, for me, it was such a relief. And it was still hard because I didn't know anyone in real life who had autistic children or special needs children in general. I mean, I, I had some, you know, distant relatives or acquaintances at best that I knew a little bit about, but no one in my immediate circle, no one understood. So becoming part of this PDA community, once I had a name for all of this to put to the behaviours, it was so validating. And I would love to know whether that was true for all of you as well. I think it must be, surely, because, you know, you're not doing anything wrong. Well, you know, we all do some things wrong. We definitely make mistakes, but not to that level. To cause those behaviours, if you parent a PDA, you know what behaviours I'm talking about. What we had, we had it all. I remember there was a time when I said to my husband, oh, all of this PDA stuff, the one saving grace is that Leo is not violent. <laughs> and then, of course, he started becoming violent as well. So we've had it all. No, actually, I, I lie. His sleep is not as bad as many other PDAers, I think. We don't have to take melatonin yet. He does take a long time to go to sleep, but it's not several hours, like a lot of people say. So anyway, I think having those tools to manage your child's behaviour and convert your whole lifestyle to low demand living is the most important thing. But of course, it's good to have that name for these behaviours because then you can start accessing the online support and the community that you didn't know you had. And that's what leads us here. I would really like to invite on a mum who, who is parenting a pda -er who is preferably home educating, because according to the PDA Society's statistics, I think they surveyed over a thousand families. Uh, and what came out of that survey is that 70% of PDAers aren't in school. Now, whether that's being home educated electively or whether their school refuses, they're, they're on roll in a school, but they can't access school. They just cannot go in. I don't think it's said, but either way, seven out of 10 children with PDA not being in school, that is massive. And I think that is a huge testament to 
us parents for realising that and not actually forcing our children to stay in school or go to school when we can clearly see that it's not working for them. So that is why we started unschooling. If you don't know what unschooling is, it's a very much child-led way of doing things. We don't force the child to sit down and do school at home. We follow their interests and we try and build in different areas of learning based on those activities and interests. So, for example, Leo's had a massive dinosaur phase recently. So I think he's he's kind of coming out of it now, but for months he was really into dinosaurs. So I just try and give him the opportunity to visit lots of places where there are dinosaurs. There's loads of dinosaur-related facts. There's all sorts of things that you can do with dinosaurs because if you just introduce anything like numbers, letters, writing, music, physics, biology, all of this through just him exploring all these dinosaur related topics, he's actually learnt a lot more than he realises. And all of this includes gaming and I know screen time is a contentious issue as well especially in the neurodivergent community. I'm not going to talk about screen time just now because I think I could dedicate a whole episode to it on its own, but I do think there is a time and place for it. Unschooling just brings everything together around the child's interests and we never push them to do anything that they're not interested in. Because I personally believe, but I think most unschoolers also do, that a child's natural curiosity and natural interest to learn is a lot it's a better tool for them to actually learn a lot more things about a lot more different topics without realizing rather than sitting them down and breaking the curriculum into very distinct chunks of reading writing maths geography history in unschooling you learn all of those things kind of at once and i think it's beautiful to see your child just play and explore and there's a lot of anecdotes from parents who say their unschooled child didn't learn to read or write until they were possibly 9, 10, 11 but when they do they actually start doing it at the same level as their peers who have been learning to read since the age of 4 or 5 and I'll also add that in many European countries I don't know about the rest of the world but definitely in mainland Europe most children don't start school until they're seven. So that's a big difference even, you know, between four and seven. That's three years. That's nearly half their lives difference in development, in, in brain growth. So forcing four-year-olds to try and learn to read when they might just not be ready, they're not interested at that point, is really counterintuitive because it will be a slog for them. Whereas if you let them discover reading when they're seven or eight or nine or even ten, they'll see it for what it's useful for and they'll learn it because they want to use it. And if you have that curiosity to learn, that will get you way further than sitting down and doing rote learning just for the sake of it. And I really, I understand that not many parents whose children go to mainstream school will understand this way of thinking and they probably won't agree with it. However, I'm quite happy in my convictions about this and I'll start worrying when Leo's maybe 12, 13 and he's still not reading. I believe that if he puts his mind to it, he will be able to learn it. So it's all about whether they have the drive to do something. 
And with PDA, because they have such a high drive for autonomy, they are very much self-directed learners anyway. And you, I think you would really struggle to teach a PDA or something that they did not want to learn. So yeah, and with PDA, especially if they know that I know that they like something, and if they know that I'm trying to make a teachable moment out of it, they are going to abandon that interest there and then. Because I've observed this so many times. I try not to make this mistake anymore. I do see parents saying that this happens. It does happen. Anecdotally, there is a lot of evidence that this happens. So you have to be very sneaky about how you introduce learning. And that's why unschooling is, I think, the best way to do it. So we are not teachers, we're facilitators. We have to facilitate that environment for our PDA to thrive based on their own interests. And it does come with a lot of responsibility. I think a lot of people might assume that unschooling is just letting your child do whatever they want. Well, you do do that, but you ensure that the environment where they do whatever they want is a suitable learning environment even for passive learning or just discovering new things. So there's a lot again to unpack about this. Uh, I just thought I'd introduce the concept of unschooling that works for my PDA. I do not see him thriving in school at all. I think there's many of us who would say the same. So overall, this is how we ended up with unschooling with PDA because these two things are things that I am quite passionate about, things that I really strive to understand myself. I really want to be the best parent that I can for Leo. And to do that, I have to consume a lot of resources. I have to read a lot. I have to connect with other people who've been through this, who have advice or just even ideas to try, which might not work. But if we just resist everything, then you know, we're, we're never going to evolve. We have to try things and learn from the failures as much as the successes. So to sum up this episode, I would just like to say, don't beat yourself up if you've tried a lot of things and they haven't worked because we've all been there and some of us get there earlier than others, but that's okay. The main point is that you are here and you are trying to do right by your child and by your family by educating yourself, by trying to understand what you can do to improve the life of your little one, as well as yourself, because it is hard on the whole family, especially if there's more, more than one child, which I don't have because I don't know how you do it. So hats off to you. In the next episode, we will delve a bit more into lived experiences uh, by others. If you've listened so far, thank you so much for sticking with me. I hope that some of this has been useful. I hope that I've maybe opened up some avenues of thought that have not occurred to you before. And please do let me know what you thought. Uh, this is very new to me. I've never done a podcast. I am not an extroverted person. I don't enjoy listening to my own voice. So I don't doubt that, like anything, the more you do it, the better you get at it. But please let me know what you thought. And um, if you think there's any value, tell your friends. Uh, my Instagram account is the same as this podcast title. It is at unschooling with PDA or one word. So do follow me there if you haven't already. And this has been valuable. I will share 
more episodes as they come out. Thank you for listening.